Here we go, season seven. All aboard. If you missed it, here's what we believe. 66 book canon. We believe in a 66 book canon. There is no more, there is no less. It's 66 books. That Yeshua, who is preached by the apostles in the Gospels and in the epistles, is the only means of salvation, as we're calling Yeshua, means. In other words, justification is by faith alone and not by works that any man should boast. Faith working through love. We are unashamedly Trinitarian. We're also unashamedly uh, doctor, believe in the doctrines of grace, what is commonly referred to as Calvinistic. The, the new covenant is not time-bound. That is to say that the, the horizon of the faith of our father Abraham is no different. Right. No, no, it is not shy of the horizon of our hope and our faith. In other words, the, that salvation was salvation was the same for Abraham as it is for us. Right. Wednesday, July 29th, 2020. This is Messiah Matters number 308. Part of the true protesters that started protesting over 500 years ago. My name is Caleb Hag. And using a new mug today called Believe. Oh. We can read the definition later because we're going to talk about what is faith, what is pistis, what is allegiance. I'm Rob Vanoff. Yeah. Yeah, you are. Trying to stay cool in this super hot weather. I'm moving your video over because I can. Okay. What up, everybody? And I'm also drinking iced coffee. You can hear that? Can you hear that? Oh, I hear it. That's ice. It's not hot. This is, it looks, don't let the, don't let the mug fool you. Are you rested up from New Jersey? Oh, man. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't had a good night's no? sleep. I haven't had a good night's sleep for a while in this heat. It's hard to cool down the house at night. You know, we don't, we have a little AC unit, but that, you know, poor, little, that about, poor little guy's like, Ring. I've noticed this about you. There's no middle ground. I'm either on or off. No, you're either, oh, there's so much snow. I don't know. I've shoveled so much snow. Oh, poor me. It's it's so cold out here. Or it's, I can't sleep. It's so hot. You need to move yeah. somewhere where the climate is like, you know. Yeah. Tell my wife. <laughs> Uh, all right. What's up, everybody in the chat room? Looks like we have a, a decent showing already, which is always right on. Always I, good. What's what's the title of the show? I I chose my mug specifically because it says believe, mm -hmm. and I was thinking our title had something to do with that, but I didn't see what you called the show. I said reviewing salvation by allegiance alone. Oh, cool. Okay, so this is a book by Matthew Bates. Thank you. By the Jessica. way. Jessica, for the reference. Yeah, she's on right now, by the way. By the, by the way, uh, there's not a whole ton of thought that goes into... Um, yes, thank you. There's not a whole ton of thought that goes into our titles and or descriptions. 
It's like Star Wars. <laughs> um, basically, I get on online about five minutes before we come on the air, and I uh, put a title in and try to think of what and, we'll talk about. And hopefully about. there's no typos in there. <laughs> Most of the time, I'm sure there is. Actually, I've had PM serious, man. That's pretty bad. My spelling is atrocious. Um, anyway, did you see MacArthur on Fox News? No, I did not. What's up? For those who don't know what's going on, and I think most people do, except for Rob, because, you know, most people don't have their head in the sand. Um, MacArthur, John MacArthur, came out last week with his with his eldership team and basically said, look, you know, now for those who don't know in uh, I don't know if it's just in the area that he's in or if it's all of California. Uh, churches have not been allowed to gather and they've also banned home gatherings. MacArthur's church came out and said, not a chance um, after they'd been. And basically what had happened is MacArthur was preaching to an empty auditorium and just broadcasting it live. And people just started showing up more each week. And then I think probably, you know, a week ago they said, OK, let's just announce that, you know, basically our church is open. So they came out and they said, you know, we we serve the Lord. We don't serve Caesar. So we're going to we're going to meet no matter what the government says. You know, you're talking three thousand people packed into a sure into a church, and uh, so they met. I think that they probably had more people live streaming their service that week than ever before. MacArthur just preached an unbelievable sermon. I it was it was very very in true MacArthur fashion. Um, really just unbelievable. And then, of course, he went on to Fox News. And uh, that's where my opening came from. He basically said, look, we're part of the original protesters. We've been protesting since 500 years ago. <laughs> uh, the Protestants. Yeah. Anyway. I get it. Yeah. Um, so if you don't know, go check on, open up Twitter. It's all over Twitter. MacArthur's all over Twitter. What also, is it? Semper Reformanda or whatever? Yeah. Also, I don't know if you saw this. Do you know who Todd White is? Nope. Again, my ignorance. Todd White is a prosperity gospel preacher. He's got really long dreadlocks. He His brand of Christianity, he has titled Lifestyle Christianity. Great branding. Um, I love it. But he's, you know, he's thrown his hat in with, uh, you know, like Copeland, uh, Kenneth Copeland, and uh, Benny Hinn. Uh, and he's featured in the American Gospel documentary, Dynamite, by the way, which is now on Netflix. Um, and, uh, you know, he basically came out, somebody sent him the American Gospel, and he said, this is, I'm not even going to watch it, it's satanic, yada, yada, yada. Well, recently, this past week, he preached a message basically repenting of the prosperity gospel, saying that he's been reading Spurgeon, and uh, all sorts of stuff. And uh, there's been some really great, you know, people like this is re this touches on the bigger thing, and this this might come into our salvation by allegiance. Hey, just let me say, let me finish oh. this real quick. The the last thing I want to say about that is, I we should all pray for Todd White. We should all be in prayer for Todd White that he actually that his that his last message is true. And that he is coming to repentance, and that he will come to preach the the true gospel. Right, right. And this will be this will be manifested throughout the coming weeks. Anyway, go ahead. 
yeah, on this note is, is the, I was just going to pull up Romans five here. So Romans five, I'll read from the NASB. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, that is through Yeshua, also we have obtained our in which we stand. And now it says we exult, but I, I think we glory in the hope of the glory of God, or we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only this, but we also boast in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance. Perseverance, proven character, that's where we're going to pause. Proven character, hope. And the hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Okay, this proven character is the, is the one I want to talk about. How do we, what does it mean to have proven character? Proven character means a person behaves consistently. They, they, they are shaped by God as they walk and they grow as believers and they mature, they get to a point where they have a, what's proven character. That means in times of trial, they don't flip and flop. It means they hold, the, they hold steady, they hold the course. And that's part of our shaping. So what's it, what I'm hearing from you, because I, I don't know anything about what you're saying, this is my first hearing of this, is that this man, um, Maybe it was through this movie and initially he spit it out like I don't want anything. And then somehow the spirit like prompted him to grab a read some Spurgeon or who knows. We, we don't know what how he came across Spurgeon. But something grabbed him in the reading of Spurgeon that now it sounds like, like you said, Caleb, if this is true, if his repentance is true, he is going through a character um, development moment right he, he his he's being shaped his character is being shaped and we can watch for the fruit of that well will there be fruit now and we can just track we'll just you know like caleb like you're saying pray for him will he then in the years to come if should the lord tarry bear fruit according to what he's now said publicly right and this is wonderful because we all have this kind of uh, how, how does God shape our character? We, we don't, when we're believers, we don't automatically have a full mature character. And a big part of the character are the voices of those that have gone before us and their articulation and clarification and explanation of the gospel generally, um, doctrines pertaining to you know, the word of God and understanding things. Um, of course, uh, this ties in exactly to what you were shared. Also news to me about John MacArthur saying, look, we've been, I'm part of a protest movement that is 500 years old. That means even MacArthur, who's probably not, what is he, 70? He's 80. 70 or, 81. He's 80. Okay, 81. That in his life, he has been shaped by the voices of uh, a very specific um, doctrinal position and he is born fruit of, of being in that position and he didn't arrive at it on his own. Right. And, and, and none of us do. We need to be shaped by other people that have gone before us. And, and so 
Yeah, the chat room right now is is waxing boldly on uh, Todd White's leg lengthening trick. This is an old uh, this is an old circus trick that they used to do, and uh, Todd White is uh, known for doing this as well. I don't know what that. I have no Basically, idea. Basically, what, what he does is he'll say, "Do you have?" You know, he walks up to people on the street or whatever, or wherever he is at a revival or whatever, and he'll say. You know, oh, do you have, you know, tell me about yourself or whatever person say, oh, I have back pain or I have, you know, I have leg pain or whatever. He'll say, okay, lay down, lay down. So they'll lay down and then he, he says, he'll he say to the person over here, you see how their leg is longer on this side than it is on this side? And then he'll start praying over him and all of a sudden the, th- this leg will lengthen. Actually, what it is is he's pulling the person. I mean, it's it's a trick. You pull the person's shoe off and then you just slide it back on. As, <laughs> I mean, it's a well-known trick. Anyway. Uh, the, the, so he's repented of that kind of stuff? I, that's the hope. You know, I think that I think that no matter what, <laughs> one of two things is going on. A, either it's, he seemed very certainly, it seemed as, as though he was having some major faith epiphanies and or wrestling with something in his, uh, you know, in his, in his last sermon. And so um, Justin Peters is, has has written an open letter to him, and Justin is the one who's been very, very strong against the uh, word of faith movement and whatnot, and uh, just solid in his in his you know rebuke of it. So I you know there's good things going on. I think that if the Lord can you know Scripture is powerful. That's all there is to it. Scripture is powerful, and. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Excited for it. I'm excited to see what happens, honestly. Okay. Um, what else is going on? Well, there's a lot going on. Should we should we move on? Should we move to to more biblical things? Okay. This from It's all biblical. That's true. This from That would be a good shirt, Caleb. It's all biblical. <laughs> Done. Mike, jump on it. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, this from Andre Philippe, who is a teacher at Torre Resource, a co-teacher with, uh, with, uh, Mr. Van Hoff here at Torre Resource Institute, uh, who is also a watcher of this show. He says in last week's show, someone asserted in relation to a passage in first Corinthians 14 that on which would be angel messenger means rulers. But neither BDAG nor LSJ list such a definition, yet you granted that person's assertion. And go. Right, and he's, saying, and he's like, okay, this is a great point. I, somewhat, I think someone in the chat room said, oh, it can mean ruler. And I think I said, yeah, it can mean that. I, I don't remember exactly... It all happened so fast. <laughs> Here's okay. Can, can I? But just, Andre's can, right on. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Pause, can I just can I just back. mention this? So it yeah. used to be that what I would do is in the beginning we had a three minute time that would count down to the show, and what I would do is I'd go back and I would cut that out, and then I'd and and YouTube. I didn't realize it at the time, but YouTube wouldn't let you keep the chat on the side for people to look at on playback if you edit the video in any way, shape, or form. So now I don't do that. So now people can watch what's going on in the chat room. So it's the chat room is public and live. So just keep that in mind. Go ahead. Keep going. Yeah, so I and I realized, 
uh, Andre is, well, he actually, in his email, he made two really good points and he was spot on on both of these. Um, this, this first one has to do with this word angel. And, and we've, I think we've talked a little bit about it. I think we need to do a, maybe a whole show on the topic. Um, but he was right that I didn't, I didn't qualify my acceptance of this idea that angel can mean ruler because that's not the, it's not, as, as Andre pointed out, it's not in any of the major lexicons, whether it's a, the BDAG, which is the, really the, the monster authority for, it's the go-to. for the Koine, you know, Christian Greek, Jewish, Christian Greek, right. neither the uh, little Scott, which he's talking about is the, the classical Greek, like the huge monster uh, lexicon for all ancient Greek outside of the, you know, faith even. Uh, and, and it's, so that's the point. It's like, well, how could you say this means ruler? Well, you know, none of these lexicographers in the, in the larger academic world on the faith side or outside the faith side, give that meaning. And, and so I did not clarify and, and what I specifically had in mind, and I'll, I'll take this. Thank you, Andre, for that. I think it's very important that we pause and go back and look at that was one place is in Malachi, the way that the Septuagint um, translates the Hebrew of Malachi, Malachi, right? Which is in the Christian Old Testament, right? It's the last book, right? Malachi is the last book of, in the way the, the, the order of the books for the Christian Old Testament. And it's transla- it, it translates his name because remember Malachi, is the name of a Malachi is the guy's name is a prophet's name, but also it means my Malach, my messenger, my, my messenger. And so the name Malachi is translated as Angelos in the book of Malachi. And specifically it, it talks about the, the priests or the sons of Levi, those who are the Torah teachers in chapter two, he is a Malach of the Lord of uh, Lord Almighty. He is the, the Malach. He is the angel. And then it says, behold, I am sending my mess, my Malach, which could refer. It seems like it's referring to what Yeshua says. This is John the Baptist. So I had a very nuanced kind of position where I could say, okay, there's, there are places where Angelos or Moloch could have the sense of a ruler or leader. And I was thinking only specifically in these terms. Um, And so there's a lot more to be said about that, but I, just to clarify, I I fully agree with Andre that, and those lexicons that ruler do, whenever you're reading and you come to Moloch, or or angelos don't don't let ruler be one of the first you know words that you think of or second for that matter or second yeah or at (laughs) all i mean uh it's only in a very specific um prophetic situation with relationship to the prophet malachi the prophecy of of the one coming before yeshua which I believe seems to be John the Baptist, right? According to Yeshua's words and the Levitical um, 
authority of teaching the Torah to the people of Israel, which is what John the Baptist was doing. John the Baptist was out preaching. And what were people doing? They were repenting of their sins. Were they repenting of sins they didn't do? No, they were convicted of transgressions against the Torah. Right. And in their conviction of transgressions against the Torah, they were confessing them and they were, they were uh, being baptized in the Jordan river. And it's an awesome thing. And he was a Cohen, right? We have to remember John the Baptist is a Cohen who is preaching. He must've been preaching the Torah. Right. Right. I mean, if he's preaching some other thing and they're coming out and, and confessing sins, transgressions against the Torah, it doesn't make sense. You're right. He's preaching um, the Torah as it is in its, in all its holiness and purity, not according to the rules of man or any of the stuff that was happening in the different sectarian groups. He's out in the open. Uh, yeah, there's a lot to be said there. So, so I, I will backpedal on that. Accept, acceptance of this idea of ruler. Okay, hang on just a sec, because uh, Andre has not put his nail gun away yet, and he is going to nail you to the wall once again. Here we go. Also, he says, I know we cannot be expected to know exactly all of the things we have ever learned or to give perfect explanations off the cuff. <laughs> I love that. This is so, it's so politely backhanded. But in referring to Cynthia Long Westfall's book, Paul and Gender, you neither named her nor the title of the book, nor gave the core portion of her interpretation of 1 Corinthians 14, which was that Paul wanted women to be able to freely wear head coverings as symbols of feminine piety and faithfulness without men telling them to remove them. He was siding with women right. who resisted men's efforts to unveil them with signaled sexual availability in Greco-Roman culture. You mention shame and women who may have been prostitutes, but you didn't relate this to wearing a veil or not wearing a veil, which one is shameful, question mark, which would be a prostitute who is a believer want, uh, no, which would a prostitute who is a believer want to do, question mark again. Also, you didn't point out what was in your head that the Greek exousion echain, in 1 Corinthians 11.10, is consistently uh, mistranslated, adding a whole word that effectively reverses the plain meaning of the Greek. Pladao. Go right. ahead. So um, I believe I understand what he's saying, and I and uh, it's it's true. I couldn't remember uh, the name of the book. Well, I knew. I think I remembered it was Paul and Gender, but it's Cynthia Long Westfall. For those into Postmodern gender studies. No, I'm kidding. It's 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 a really good book, I think. Um, addressing First Corinthians and uh, the woman covering her head. I understand her to be saying basically what Andre just said very clearly that <laughs> in the Greco-Roman world, mm -hmm. in the Greco-Roman world, basically, if this is her argument, and I think Andre represents it accurately. And again, this was one of those things that was a little side note, and I appreciate Andre's kind kind rebuke <laughs> measures <laughs> saying look you know you cited it but you did you weren't accurate and to be to be fair we didn't plan on talking about her so i it was totally from memory um and that's far from perfect my memory that the the women were 
women whose heads were shaven or not allowed to cover their head. In other words, there was a, a, some other social symbolism with head covering that was trying to be imposed of who could and who could not cover their head. And it had to do with men who were making judgments about these women. And my understanding is that, is, is her argument, and I think it makes good sense, is that Paul is saying, let, let the women have authority over the, her own head, that she can let the women cover their head and don't, don't let anyone say, no, she can't have her head covered for whatever reason. She was right. a prostitute or whatever. She's, uh, and so... Again, it's it's a good and in point. Cor and in Corinth, this probably was a huge issue because you, in all likelihood, you had women who were Gentiles who were probably part of the temple cult as prostitutes who had come to Christ. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, there could have been, an, again, this is, I haven't read this book for a couple of years, but. Um, I, I imagine too that it's possible that there could be there are men like we don't want just any women coming in here. Right. We need to see who they are. That it might not have been this idea of whether they were uh, quote sexually available, which is what, um, as Andre cites Westfall's uh, comment. Um, I think I think it was the idea of letting letting each woman decide for themselves whether they were going to cover their head or not. That's what I, that's what I think it is not letting another person say, no, you can, or you cannot. Um, I could be wrong. Yeah. My father takes a different view on this. Uh, there's an article that he uh, wrote on Torah resource about his view that it's, it's talking about hair. And there is actually, uh, I think that the last time I looked into this, we talked about this on the show, but the last time I looked into this, I think that there's maybe four, I, and I could be wrong on this, so don't quote me. Um, I think that there's maybe four main views on what this passage in 1 Corinthians could be talking about. But uh, yeah, I think that the view that you're taking and the view of hair is basically... Now, of course, what did the Christian church do, especially with men, right? You don't walk into a church with your head covered. And this is the main reason, this is the main passage that's cited for that, which I think is um, really a, a misinterpretation. So no, ma no matter think, what, no, no, no matter what interpretation you take, I think that that right there is a misinterpretation. Go ahead. Yeah, it, it, does, it is addressing her hair. I mean, the idea is that, but again, we don't need to get into, I thought we did a whole show on this book, we did. but I don't, I don't remember and for, uh, anyone, for anyone who's looking and for last and to be fair also and i put this note in my reply to i almost told caleb like i my brain's gone last week i was like i'm oh, he said that <laughs> yeah he didn't last week rob didn't want to do a show and i made him do it anyway uh well it's not that i didn't i just I, my brain was just fried and it's still recovering here, as you can tell for those who want to uh, read my father's article uh michael has posted it in the chat room uh he says here's the article and then yeah, just click that and you can read that article. Okay, let's move on. Um, hmm. Okay, here we go. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know how better to... I didn't actually grab Jessica's email. Basically, J Jessica says, can you please review this book? 
Yeah, here let's let's we'll we'll do an intro with my book with my mug. Okay, so I've got this mug. I don't remember where I found this. It was like Fred Meyer, like clearance play, like two bucks for a giant mug. And I'm like, hey, okay. And it says believe, and then it says V, which means verb. To have confidence in the truth, comma existence, comma, or their, or the reliability of something although without absolute proof that one is right in doing so. And I'm like, eh, okay, generally that's to <laughs> Let's believe. add some more here. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm like, okay, this, this is fitting for the theme. It's like, what is faith? What is faith? Because what Matthew Bates is doing here, salvation by allegiance alone. Hang on just a sec. Wait, wait, before you, before you do that. Let's say the the book that we're reviewing is, as Rob has already said, Matthew, by Matthew W. Bates. The title is Salvation by Allegiance Alone. Subtitle: Rethinking Faith, Works, and the Gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus the King. This is like 2017 Baker. Baker Academic those, Press. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I have only read uh, in preparation for the show. I have only read the fourth chapter of this book. Um, However, yeah, okay, go ahead. So yeah, so obviously he's what's he playing on? If someone says, "Oh, salvation by allegiance alone," you're like, we're used to hearing by faith alone. Yeah, sola fide, right? We're 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 faith alone, and so he's like, well, what is he doing? He's wanting to highlight this, the doctrine of of salvation by faith, but he's saying, I want to take that word faith, and I want to I want to say it, there's a problem with in English right. with the word faith and how we understand it today because belief and faith seems to have shifted into the realm of intellectual assent to an idea. In other words, oh, I agree with Caleb. Like I, like Caleb gives me information. Right. I listen to the information. I say, okay, I believe it. It means I, I kind of agree intellectually. Yeah. And, and so, and I, what Bates wants to do is say, wait a minute, if people are reading the Bible, and they're thinking that this is what faith means. Intellectual agreement to an argument or something. Then they're totally missing out on works, on, on the idea of works and how he shifts it. So he, what's, what's he, he takes this word pistis in Greek and says, it's, you know, it's not even faith. It's faith, faithfulness. Some have said, well, it's really faithfulness. But what he shifts it to allegiance to say, and this, this could get back to that character formation thing we were talking about in, in uh, Romans 5. A perseverance through trial in a way that is, that is consistent and mature with, the, with the, what is confessed. In other words, if I'm saying one thing and I'm doing a different, doing something different, that's hypocrisy. That's not faith, right? But if, I, but if I'm a hearer, and a doer, then that's coherent. That is what Bates, I believe, would call, he wants to use the word in English, allegiance. Okay, hang on just a Allegiance sec. is a hearer and a doer. Okay, hang on just a sec. So the, the, you have two ends of a spectrum, and then and then uh, this book actually kind of falls, Bates kind of falls in the middle, or kind of solidifies one of the arguments. First of all, you have like the new independent fundamentalist Baptists who say works have nothing to do in any way, shape or form whatsoever with salvation. In other words, uh, once a person believes that is mentally understands that God or that, you, that Yeshua is the savior and accepts that, that's it. 
they're saved. Once saved, always saved, and there's no there's no losing that. So works have nothing in any way, shape, or form to do do with it. On the other end of the spectrum, you have someone like N.T. Wright who comes out and says, just as Rob just said, okay, the word faith should actually be translated in many places as faithfulness. And he gives examples. And there's actually a uh, an article that um, that I pulled up. We can we can talk about this at some point too, where he's going to say, in fact, we have a, a bigger issue as well, whether or not it's uh, God's Yeshua's faithfulness to the covenant or our faithfulness to Yeshua. And so he he teases that out. What Bates is going to say is, okay, yes, there are times when pis, pistis is going to mean belief, as in I have I, I have understanding and or belief in something the what we would term as maybe the standard Christian traditional view of faith. But what Bates is going to say is no, the view, and he's not going to reference N.T. Wright in this, but basically the view that N.T. Wright ha- has, has some not only merit, but maybe N.T. Wright and those in that camp don't go far enough. In fact, and as Rob and I have said in many times on this show, there are multiple meanings to multiple different words. We've always highlighted the term circumcision and how circumcision has multiple different meanings uh, within within the scriptures. Um, and we could show other examples of words that have multiple meanings. Flesh would be another one, right? What does it mean, our flesh? Uh, there's multiple meanings. And so what Bates is going to do is he's going to take this word pistis, which is translated as faith, and he's going to say one of the great uh, and correct interpretations of this word is allegiance, and he's going to give examples. So for instance, and I thought the one that was really, uh, really kind of hit home was the one in Romans 3, 21 through 25. I'll read. Now, what he's done is he's actually supplied, he's switched it. He switched faith to allegiance. Listen how the, to how this reads now. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through allegiance of Jesus Christ, or should it be to Jesus Christ, for all who give allegiance. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by the grace as a gift through the redemption that is in the, in the, Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood through his allegiance. One of the reasons that this hits home so well is because if you have faith there, through whose faith? Right. Go ahead. A, a really good place too, just to get to underscore this, and and I see I see value in in this word allegiance, because allegiance also one of the things that allegiance conveys that faithfulness kind of does, but I think allegiance has a little more power to it is, is when I get to a fork in the road. So they, you know, so to speak, like there's two different authorities saying different things. Like Judas was, did not show allegiance to Yeshua, right? right. The, the 11 disciples, they, they wanted to show allegiance. Even Peter's like, I'll die for you. I'll die with you. You know, they'll, they'll have to kill me. And Yeshua's like, look, you're going to, you know, before the cock crows, you know, three times, you know, or you're going to deny me three times, etc. But I've prayed for you, right? But Yeshua never said, 
told Judas he prayed for him. You know, the, Judas was, a, you know, negotiating his own benefit, you know, with he had one foot in with the disciples and another foot in another network of, you know, trying to trying to do what's best for Judas in his own broken evil, you know. Um, but he was not elite. He didn't show allegiance. But Stephen, right, before the Acts, is showing allegiance to Yeshua. Um, and so, anyway. Well, hang on just a second. Tri- in the time of trial, right, in the time of trial, do they stick with Yeshua? Yeah, one of the things that we, exactly, one of the things that we need to, to make very clear, this book is, Bates is not suggesting that pistis cannot be translated faith. In fact, he shows places where pistis needs to be translated as faith. And perhaps a good one of a good uh, example of this would be uh, like in James, right? Because he talks about the belief of Abraham justifying him, and then the work of circumcision being an expression of that faith, of that belief, okay? Now, I'm not sure what what, uh, Bates specifically would say in regard to James. Um, So somebody in the chat room says... Well, in James, it's talking about the offering of Isaac is the work. Oh, right, right, sorry. Uh, Galatians is where uh, where Paul talks about. Anyway, um, Habakkuk 2.4 is, uh, Lee says, is, is Habakkuk 2.4 faithfulness. And I'm opening up my uh, Bible software. I will. Well, here, yeah, well, here it's okay. So this is a good point. This ties with Hebrews. So in his introduction or in, in this first, one of his first chapters here, what faith is not. And one of the things he talks about, it's not a leap in the dark. And he goes to a Hebrews 11, one, which is unpacking Habakkuk. Cause remember at the end of chapter 10 of Hebrews, he cites this Habakkuk 2.4. But then he says, now pistis is the, now his translation is the underlying substance toward which hope is directed, the conviction of things not seen. Um, I like it. I, I just say the substance of things hoped for. And the things hoped for are not a shot in the dark. It's not, it's not like you're just randomly guessing and jumping out into the void. What are the things hoped for? That God, the, the things God has promised. Right. And, and the things hoped for are obedient by the believer in God. The one who trusts in God is what is their hope? Their hope is to be obedient and to, to be God's people. That's back to Romans 5, 1. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Those who are born from above, who have, who are God is, as Paul writes in Corinthians, you know, shine the light in our hearts, you know, those people, their their heart's desire is Abba Father. You know, I want to walk in your ways. You know, teach me your ways, O Lord. Right? Open my eyes, and I can see the wonders of your Torah. Right? This is this is that. Um, so it's not faith is in the Bible when it's talking about pistis. It's talking about um, a, this. If we use this word allegiance, but it's allegiance, and that our whole being is defined by the promises of God. That are that are not just for me. God didn't create the world just to have promise for Rob. He's got the whole salvation history, you know, the right. whole 
promise of Abraham and that, that being bringing a blessing into the world. And of course, Yeshua is the foundation of, of this relationship we have that God walks with his people. Right. But anyway, um, he just says, you know, and then in Hebrews 11, it goes through Abel, Noah, you know, or Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, etc. Here it says, for example, neither, this is page 19, neither Noah nor Abraham launched out into the world, right, as like a leap in the dark, but rather each responded to God's command, right? That That's the important thing, that when you read Hebrews 11, when it says, by faith, Enoch, by faith, Noah, by faith, you know, Moses, they're always obedient to God. The, the, the thing that they're doing by faith is not something they dreamed up on their own. They're doing it in obedience. And so he says, one might even dare to say that in acting this way, Noah and Abraham and all those in Hebrews 11 uh, showed allegiance to God as the sovereign and powerful Lord who speaks all human affairs into existence. So he says, the key point is that true pistis, which he's translating often here as allegiance, is not an irrational launching into the void, but a reasonable action-oriented response grounded in the conviction that God's invincible underlying realities are more certain than any apparent realities. So the, uns the unseen are God's, is, God's covenant promise. And God's covenant promise, the mo, or the Abraham is the real potent one, of course. He says, "Get up! I'm going to. I'll send you to a land that you've never seen before. Right. And I'm going to take you there." Did was God? Did, had God already planned? Did He know where? Was He going to make it up? Is He going? No. God had already knew where Isaac was going to be offered. He, but He didn't reveal all this to Abraham at once. He says, "Leave. I'm going to take you to a new land. I'll show you when you get there." And Abraham obeys. So. That is allegiance. So if, if another person had come and met Abraham on the way and said, hey, Abraham, I've got a, a get rich deal. You're going to be. Check, check, check. There we go. Okay. Sorry about that. Oh, that's all right. So this chapter uh, that Caleb read has the author has what he calls the three dimensions of allegiance, the three dimensions and he says all three of these have to be there for it to be allegiance. And so one is in that intellectual agreement, so general belief. And he lists the like what are the bullet points of facts of the gospel, right? And then you have to kind of agree to those, right? Like if if in other words, if there's no way for me to show biblical allegiance to Yeshua if I don't believe intellectually with the fact, if I don't agree with the fact of his resurrection, right? right. <laughs> so there's there's First one is like, here's the facts of the gospel. And he has a way of outlining that. And I think it's more or less true. And then, so you, you need to have, to understand the basic information. Then there's the confession of Yeshua as kurios, as Lord. That's, that's, there's a confession involved, but even that's not enough. And, and I think Bates is right to show like in the gospel of Matthew, for example, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, right. did we not do all this? So, and he's like, you were work, you, you were lawless. I never knew you. So, so this confession of Yeshua as Lord really isn't the final uh, deal. He says you have to, and he calls it embodied fidelity or embodied loyalty. And that's really 
It's just a fancy way of saying doing. It's a fancy way of saying, don't be a hearer, like James again, don't be a hearer only, but be a hearer and a doer. doer. Right. Because if you're not a doer, you know, it's, it's and, and it reminds me too of Yeshua's parable of the sower. You know, he says some of the seed falls on the, the wayside and, and it sprouts up really quickly. You know, he says, this is those who like hear the word, they, you know, and they, out of joy, they, they receive it. But then what happens? The heat of the day comes and they have no root in themselves and it just dries up and blows away. That's the, that's the hearer, but not the doer. The hearer and the doer is the, is the good soil. So it, it feels to me a little bit like, well, I, I accept embodied loyalty, embodied fidelity. It's just a little, it sounds, I don't know what you call it, postmodern yeah, way but, of just saying works. Yeah, but when he, yeah, when he talks about the idea of uh, Yeshua as king, and that, you know, the, the language of the Bible itself is to tell, is to say that we have allegiance to said king. In other words, Yeshua is the king of kings. He is the one that rules. He is the, he is the master of all. Do we give allegiance to him? I mean, this kind of language actually really resonates with me. And I think our sound is off when I already said this, but the idea that, uh, that, that Bates is hashing out here, I've, it resonates with me because I've already, um, I've already enjoyed N.T. Wright's view of this. And so uh, I, th- I think that's one of the reasons that I, I find this to be very, very convincing. Yeah. Now, on, on the flip side, let's move to, because we got about um, 12 minutes left here. Let's talk about some of the things that you did not like about this book. Okay. I, and I, I do want to say there's, the book is worth uh, worth reading, um, I'll, I'll finish with some of the problems I have with it. But one thing, one other thing I like generally about the book is at the end of every chapter, it's ve- it's very well written, very well structured and right. outlined. It's easy to find. There's bold sections. He's got this for further thought at the end of each chapter where he gives lists. Sometimes it's like this, like chapter five has 12 different things. And they're, they're, this would be good study questions. Like if you right. were part of a small group, you read a chapter and then you'd have, you know, like on like, you know, several well phrased, well articulated questions that kind of are aiming to, you know, penetrate or, or get into the meat of of what that chapter was about right. and its and its implications for your life and for your and it and will challenge you on all these levels. And so I think that's really great. I, I uh, however, there's a few things. Um, I his his reading of let's see, I got to find it now. Sorry, guys. He I don't agree with his reading of Romans ten. Um, and when he talks about the, what is the 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 righteousness of the law, um. And that, that's one of them. There was another one in here. I thought I had it highlighted here. He, he seems to fudge on one of the doctrines of faith. He, he seems to say, well, the Bible just says Christ died for the church broadly, not for individuals. And that, that, was, that was like, what? And he never cites like Galatians 2.20, who loved himself, or, or sorry, he, he, he loved me and gave himself right. for me. Not, not we, not for us. Yes, Paul says for us, but he says for me. 
and and so he he'll cite Galatians two twenty, but a completely different context than when he's talking about that you know this issue of whether Christ died for individuals, for individual souls, or did he just die for a group of souls, and not for anyone in particular. And so that didn't. It sounded like he was waffling on that a little bit. It didn't come out clear. Um, another is he'll talk about Romans eight twenty nine. You know those he those were called he. He justified, right, um, and glorif- ultimately leading to glorified, which your dad, Tim Haig, gave a great uh, uh, talk about that d- during our conference in in um, for Messiah 2020. North Carolina, or uh, New Jersey. North New Jersey. Um, so that was disappointing. Another is that he, he has a footnote where he's talking about the Pharaoh, the Exodus situation with Pharaoh's hardening heart. And he'll say, you know, sometimes it's God, you know, the Lord is doing it. Sometimes Pharaoh's hardening his own heart. And then he tries to, he, it gets really vague and unclear. And the problem is there is, and I, I felt really disappointed because in Hebrew, there's at least, I think, three different verbs used. And you have to, you, you have to go through and look at each instance. And, and I feel like he doesn't do a fair assessment of that. He's just, he's uh, presumptuous about that. Um, so th- th- there are some things like that. Well, one of the bigger issues though, is one of his chapters is restoring the idol of God, I-D-O-L. And he wants to argue that Yeshua, I hope I'm not misrepresenting him, but he's saying basically we are made in the image of God, Zelem, Zelem in Hebrew. And he wants to argue that Zelem can mean idol. And then he goes into the parallel of how in the ancient world, you know, that, they, you know, what is an idol and that somehow God has made an idol and somehow Yeshua is the true idol. This is just, it's really weird. And I don't like it at all. Um, so I don't pretend to understand it just because it's, it just doesn't make sense to me. The true, that because that's not the way we're supposed to read Genesis. When it says that God made man in, in Bethlehem, in the Tzelem uh, Elohim, in the image of God, to read it as idol doesn't make sense at all. The, the proper contrast is in the ancient Near East is you look at, well, what was a man? What was a human in the Enuma Elish, right? What was, what was it, a human in Egyptian uh, creation stories? What does it mean to be a human? And that's, it, so then what is a human according to Genesis. That's the proper contrast. Not what is it, not what is Tzelem. The, there is no real um, uh, evidence. I think in the book of Numbers, he gives one example, Tzalme, where it says the images of the molten images or something like that. And so he wants to argue that, see, there's, there's evidence that Tzelem can mean idol. And then it's, Anyway, he builds a whole chapter off that, and I think it's just super weak. It doesn't belong in mm-hmm. there. Um, was there anything else? I have to look at my notes here. Um, well, I can. I that's, th- that's probably it. This much I can tell you is that uh, the chapter four that I read was uh, resonated with me. I thought it was very good. Um, so, what? And you said what? Recommend? You'd recommend this book? <clears throat> yeah, I think I think it would be good for a, a study group 
uh, to read it, and especially with the the format, it's easy to read. It's it's very well written, well organized. The the notes for further study or the study questions at the end of each chapter, that the just problematizing the word faith is valuable because we all need to be challenged that we don't uh, take that for granted, right? It doesn't become just a simple idea um, that that his Bates's emphasis that it has to look like something in the life of the believer is is a super important point. And this book has all those things going for it. Um, again, there, there are things where I think, you know, I said the three really, the fudging on on particular redemption, the uh, this idea of tselem as idol, I think it's just, it, I think it's frankly, it's, it's pointless. It, it does, it's unhelpful. And it mis, it, I think he's, a, I think he was trained in New Testament, not in ancient Near East, you know, because it's the same thing with this portrayal of the Exodus with the Pharaoh. He doesn't get any into any of the nuance of the narrative and the, the three different Hebrew words used and who's the subject, who's the object. He just paints a, Abroad, yeah, yeah, way simplistic picture, and then tries to use that to 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 back up his his argument in in one place, and so it's like, eh, and 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 of course, keep in mind he's going to read, um, you know, he does he does poke at the idea as well. What about the the? Does this mean obedience to the law of Moses for Christians? I mean, he gets right down to that, but he'll say, well you know, it doesn't really apply to us. Some do, some don't. Some some of the commandments apply, some of them no longer apply. So he's still, uh, but he won't clarify. He won't, he won't clarify how we know right. which ones apply and which ones don't. Um, but aside from all that, if, if we're all, you know, most, most people who probably listen to us are already navigating that kind of difficult situation. You know, okay, I, I, there's a teacher, I like what he's teaching on all these things, but there's other stuff. So if you're familiar with that kind of um, needing to sort and, and separate out, but try to to glean even, I think it's a, it's a, uh, it's worthwhile. The book is Salvation by Allegiance Alone, Rethinking Faith Works in the Gospel of Jesus the King by Matthew, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> Matthew W. Bates. You can pick it up. It's by Bay, Baker Academic. And the other one we briefly, uh, probably unhelpfully, yep. talked about Paul and Gender. Paul and Gender. All right. By Cynthia Long Westfall. We hope that uh, it's been wow, good for y'all. Also Baker Academic. <clears throat> we hope it's been good for y'all. Thank you, everybody in the chat room, for being a part of it. And uh, yeah, we'll see y'all next week. I don't know what in the world we're going to talk about. If you have ideas, please. Shoot us an email, chagatorresource.com at chagatorresource.com. You can also give us a call on our comment line. It's 253-465-3205. I'll give it to you again, 253-465-3205. We hope that this conversation has done at least one thing, which is glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? Well, because... Messiah matters. <laughs>